This is Fortune Favors the Bold, a branded podcast from MasterCard and Gimlet Creative. I'm Ashley C. Ford. You know, my fiancé and I believe in voting with our dollars. We seek and support minority-owned businesses and artists. We shop at a food co-op. We try not to buy plastic, but when we do, we make sure it's made from recycled materials. And all of my pairs of glasses, and I have more than a few, come from a company that donates another pair to a person in need. And it's not just me. Nearly two out of every three people around the world will buy or boycott brands based on their political or social views. It's clear that if you're a business today, having a good product isn't enough. To be successful, you also need to have values. And that's what today's show is about, doing well by doing good. We're going to talk with a wildly successful founder who's helping lead a movement to put purpose at the core, right alongside profit. And we'll talk with a business whisperer who every day teaches CEOs how to get on board with the economy of doing good. So how did we get here? Well, let's take a trip back to 1987. Top of the news, I, Ashley C. Ford, was born. But also, Whitney Houston was number one on the charts. You could still smoke on airplanes, and the movie Wall Street was out in theaters. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Even if you haven't seen Wall Street, you probably know this scene. If you don't, let me tell you about it. There's this guy called Gordon Gecko. He's the quintessential Wall Street tycoon. He buys up companies, fires employees, and restructures to squeeze out every last cent of profit. Gecko's got the pocket square, the slicked back hair. He's the epitome of corporate success. In this scene, he's talking to shareholders, and he's delivering a speech that's the rallying cry of the era. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed you mark my words, will not only save Teldar paper, but that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. Gordon Gecko was just saying what everyone else knew but didn't want to say out loud. Who cares about principles or making the world a better place? All that matters is the bottom line. The shareholders listen intently. In the three decades since that speech, the way we do business has really changed. Okay, so if you could travel back to 1987, what would you tell the Gordon Gecko character about business in the future? Like, how would you explain to him what you do? Well, I'm, I'm 17. I don't know if he's going to respond to me <laughs> back then, but... That's Pat Keen. He's an investor. He's kind of like a fortune teller. It's his job to see five to seven years into the future and predict what will make a company profitable. And he is no Gordon Gecko. I think greed is, is just a terrible adjective. It's not an adjective I teach my children or an adjective that I want them to have to be part of their common vernacular or lexicon. I think you can be successful while doing good. When he showed up for this interview, Pat was in jeans and a button-up, not a pinstripe suit. He was also cradling a large cup of herbal tea. His investment fund, Stripes Group, has invested money in about 30 companies. Full disclosure... One of them is Gimlet Media, the company producing this podcast. 
And when Pat is on the hunt for a new company to invest in, one of the main things he looks for is mission. If you don't have a mission towards a greater good, working in your community, delivering on a set of goals that are authentic, that stand behind a culture that might be implicit or explicit, I honestly don't think you're going to be a successful company. More and more, investors are looking for companies with a mission. Recently, BlackRock, one of the world's largest investment firms, said as much. The firm manages more than $6 trillion. And in a letter to business leaders, BlackRock CEO Larry Fink wrote that, quote, society is demanding that companies serve a social purpose. It sounds to me like he's saying, being profitable is not enough. If companies want a slice of BlackRock's $6 trillion pie, they need to contribute to society. The thing is, consumers want it all, especially young consumers. Today's market for doing good is massive. Millennials are the single largest generation in America's history, and they've demonstrated that they put their money where their values are. After the break, we'll meet a founder whose purpose-driven product tapped into this movement and proved to be big business. You're listening to Fortune Favors the Bold, brought to you by MasterCard. In this episode, we're learning that some businesses are tackling some of the world's most pressing problems, and in the process, learning that you can do well and do good. MasterCard is committed to the mission of including more people in the economy. Maybe you're living in a refugee camp. You're traveling with your kids, and it's really unsafe, and you can only imagine the, the situation that's surrounding them. That's Shamina Singh, president of the MasterCard Center for Inclusive Growth. Then on top of that, imagine you get to a place and you get a pile of paper, you get a pile of cash, and you say, okay, now go buy your water, go buy your tent, go buy your food, go buy whatever it is you're, you need to survive. And then you have to leave your kids, walk an hour to go get your stuff, and you have a big pile of cash. That's not exactly the place where you ever want to be. It's Shamina's job to take MasterCard's commitment to financial inclusion and push it towards delivering inclusive growth. She goes out into the world and joins forces with governments and nonprofits and other companies to help make sure that as economies grow, everyone in every corner sees the benefits. We really see inequality and exclusion um, as two of the most important issues of our time. We really have um, what we think is an interesting approach to poverty alleviation and also access to economic resources. The center presents a new approach to philanthropy, one that connects the dots between research, the technology MasterCard can provide, and the programs and services that plug people into the digitized economy. And it puts them on a pathway from poverty to prosperity. So in Mexico, we worked with um, shop owners there uh, to help them get the technology and the tools to understand this visibility into their business. And so we tested. We tested technology. So it was everything from, okay, how do you use a mobile phone um, to track customer service or your inventory or um, your cash flow? How do you access digital payment? How do you market in such a way that you understand 
what's happening in your city and who your customers could be. To learn more about the work that's being done at the MasterCard Center for Inclusive Growth, visit MasterCardCenter.org. That's MasterCardCenter.org. And we're back with the story of the baby food behemoth, Plum Organics, and its founder, Neil Grummer. Today, Plum Organics is worth upwards of $250 million. Plum Organics was founded in 2007, but before then, it was just a kitchen project for Neil Grimmer and his wife. Back then, Neil was a punk rock musician, a product designer, and a new dad. He and his wife had a problem, one that I think a lot of working parents can probably relate to. They were feeling really guilty about how to feed their kids nutritious meals. We found ourselves waking up at 6 in the morning to pack a healthy lunchbox and then bacon squash at 10 o'clock at night to try and create, you know, baby food. And we said there had to be a better way to solve that problem. The solution was Plum Organics. It's a premium baby food brand with super healthy ingredients and pretty wild taste profiles. Think papaya and cardamom baby bowls or veggie juice pouches with kale and amaranth. Plum's official mission is... Little ones deserve the very best food from the very first bite. But Neil didn't just want these benefits to be limited to those who could afford his baby food. He wanted the company to bring nourishing food to children in need. So Plum donates a portion of their product to hungry kids. 16 million little ones, or one in five kids in this country, go hungry every day. And we couldn't just ignore that stat, and we had to do something about it. In addition to the donations... They've developed a line of products they call super smoothies. These smoothies are specially fortified to serve kids who are food insecure or malnourished. And all of this sounds great, but I'm curious about how it really works. How do companies marry a wonderful sounding mission with the traditional idea of maximizing the bottom line? Because at the end of the day, despite the mission, purpose, and values, legally, Companies only have one duty, and it's fiduciary. It's about the marginal returns, the quarterly earnings report, the cash out. Fiduciary duty means companies legally must be maximizing their profits for shareholders, period. But Neil was determined to find another way. He didn't think that this single focus on the bottom line made sense for today's consumers. Consumers now more than ever are voting with their dollars for brands that they believe have value alignment with their own value system. This is the hallmark of the new economy. This is not a fringe idea, nor just a do-good, feel-good, but this is actually going to become, you know, a core tenant in businesses that want to be successful going forward, certainly for this generation of consumers. Neil and some of his founder friends, CEOs from companies like Method and Warby Parker, they'd been talking about this idea. They all believed that mission is a crucial growth driver for the new economy. Their companies were the proof, and they felt like old corporate structures that prioritized the bottom line were holding them back. So they rallied around a new kind of business structure, one that had doing good baked right into its legal DNA a public benefit corporation. 
Being a PBC would let companies like Plum prioritize social and environmental responsibilities right alongside their financial ones. We actually could write our mission and our charter into the bylaws of the company. So in 2013, Neil and the other founders went to Delaware, where many U.S. companies are incorporated, to argue for public benefit corporations to be legally recognized. And they succeeded. Now, it's not easy to become a PBC. PBCs have to commit to having a measurable positive impact on society or the environment. They can't slack on their standards, which are pretty rigorous. And they actually have to convince their shareholders of all these changes. I mean, can you imagine telling someone who is investing money in your business, hey, thanks for the money and all, but sometimes I'm going to prioritize things besides getting you back as much money as possible? Well, Neil did just that. When Plum became a PBC, working to combat child hunger became as mandatory as delivering returns to investors. So now these things are hardwired into the bylaws of our company, which means that we all have that um, governing responsibility to make sure that we deliver on that promise. Plum's promise to make healthy food for their customers and to donate to families in need helped the company grow. And fast. In 2013, Plum was pulling in over $90 million in sales when Neil got a call from Campbell's Soup. Soon after, he found himself sitting across from Denise Morrison, the CEO of Campbell's, for a 7 a.m. breakfast at the Waldorf Astoria. He was about to make the deal of a lifetime. The first thing she said to me, I sat down at breakfast and she said, my grandchildren are plum babies. I, I get what you do, um, 100%. And ultimately, we talked about, you know, the vision that she had for where she wanted to take Campbell's and how Plum could be a really instrumental part in bringing that vision to life. Campbell saw the value in Plum's mission-driven business, and Neil was able to enshrine that mission by selling Plum as a public benefit corporation, which meant that when Campbell's bought Plum, they also bought its values. Neil Grimmer no longer runs the day-to-day at Plum, but the company's values live on. Plum has donated over 14 million meals to children in need. Neil considers selling Plum to be a major win, not just in terms of money, but also mission. Instead of thinking about selling your company as selling out, I would actually encourage folks to think about it as selling your values in to a larger company because the impact that you can make by bringing that value system inside, you know, a Fortune 500 company is massive. Today, there are about 5,000 public benefit corporations in the 30 or so states that allow them. And you're not just going to find them in the grocery aisles. PBCs are making paper, generating electricity, and doing everything in between. And it isn't just PBCs who are committing to making positive change. It's happening everywhere, with businesses of all sizes. There's one budding entrepreneur that Neil sees following in his footsteps. My 11-year-old has actually started a business, and all the proceeds go to um, supporting cystic fibrosis. One of her friends has cystic fibrosis, and she makes these T-shirts that say, light shiner, earth protector, world changer. And that's what I hope. I hope, um, you know, this next generation of kids finds their passion point, um, brings their talent to bear to help solve the problems that we face in society. Neil's company, 
and his daughter's startup. They're mission-oriented from the get-go. And they just might be tapped into an entirely new way of thinking about what drives the economy. The consciousness economy is the realization that each of us are having on a collective basis that what's good for the world is what's good for me. Jessica Joins calls this new economy the consciousness economy, which is also the name of her consulting firm. It's their job to help companies wake up to this new reality and find their purpose. What does that mean for a business? Because I think a lot of people, when they think about consciousness, when they think about the mind, when they think about caring for the self or being aware of the self in that way, their next thought is not business. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the relationship between consumers and brands has vastly changed as people have become more awake as they've seen that the world is not such a big place, that it's actually a much smaller place than they realize, what they expect from brands and the relationship that they feel towards brands has essentially um, evolved and flourished. They look at things going on in the world, they look at business, and they say, hey, what are you doing? Um, And they expect brands to be tackling that and have a part of that. Jessica believes that these days, consumers are making decisions, well, a bit more mindfully. Which makes sense. We have so much information at our fingertips. We can see the impact that our purchases have on the world around us. And we know that we have options. Jessica thinks that since consumers know what their purchases stand for, to be successful, companies need to figure out what they stand for, quickly their businesses. So what does this mean for your business? And by the way, all the research and studies have been done is that it means anywhere from 4 to 14x the amount of growth versus companies that aren't embracing these principles. There's enough data out right now that they can't ignore the numbers. CEOs call Jessica when they are getting their companies off the ground and looking to grow. Or more established companies call her when they realize that without well-defined values, they're being left behind. When companies ask Jessica for help, she makes it crystal clear to them that this isn't about PR. They want to get on this bandwagon. They want to do it, but they think it's a campaign, which it's not. Right. This is not a marketing campaign. Right. This is foundational. This is this is totally transforming the way you behave as a business. Right. And it's not just about the marketing department. This affects supply chain. This affects employee culture. Um, This affects, you know, everything. When Jessica begins work with a company, she leads them through a self-audit, assessing their product and its environmental impact. Then they take a hard look at their company culture. They look at their leadership team. They look at where their brand is in terms of communicating a purpose. And that's where a lot of the big aha and awakening moments come because they start to see, wow. (laughs) Right. Um, You start to really go, okay, we have work to do. Once companies articulate and center their mission, they can change in all sorts of ways. Some learn to better communicate their company's purpose. Others change their employee policies, like giving staff time off to volunteer. Other companies make changes to their product, creating new sustainable packaging or sourcing materials differently. And some companies have a lot more work to do. Full-on gut renovations, like one of the first companies Jessica worked with. They had a very um, 
lack of a better word, I'll say that kind of authoritarian leadership style in many ways, which is traditional. It's right. that very top down. There's not a lot of transparency. Mm-hmm. Um, they were having a high turnover rate as part of it. They weren't attracting millennials um, to work in their workforce. Those numbers have gone up. But it was like, you've got to completely change the way that things are run here. Because, again, at the end of the way that you're going to measure this is, is my profit going up. You know, they're starting to see the growth numbers there in a very powerful way. Growth numbers. Profit. That's what it's always been about, even back in the Gordon Gecko Wall Street days. But today, in order to see that profit, companies don't have much of a choice but to change the way they do things. If you want to succeed, you need to join this new purpose-driven economy. People like me and my friends, maybe even you, we're holding ourselves to higher standards. And we expect the companies we patronize to do the same. Success isn't one-dimensional. It's holistic. And doing well by doing good, well, that seems here to stay. Fortune Favors the Bold is a branded podcast from MasterCard and Gimlet Creative. This episode was produced by Oluwakimi Aladisui, Caitlin Baguki, Carrie Ann Thomas, Rachel Jacobs, and Jorge Estrada. Nazanin Rafsajani is our creative director, and Sarah Geis is our editor. Katherine Anderson mixed this episode, and technical direction was from Zach Schmidt. Have you been enjoying our show so far? If so, let us know. Find us on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about the show, too. I'm Ashley C. Ford, and Fortune Favors the Bold will be back next week. <laughs>